Today's episode of Switchbacks is sponsored by Happy People Hike, an outdoor-inspired apparel company that is so much more than the clothing they sell. Allison and Dan encourage others to find their happy through wellness, nature, and of course, the power of hiking. Go check out their awesome clothing and accessories and use code SBK at checkout for 10% off your order. Hello and welcome to Switchbacks, a travel podcast where we reflect on our year visiting all 59 U.S. national parks. Whether you are planning to visit your very first park or you bleed gray and green, we are here to share our insights on exploring, understanding, and loving America's best idea. Thanks for tuning in. Today we're chatting about two parks that were protected for the sake of history and culture. We'll also answer a burning listener question. What is our all-time favorite hike? You finally ready to get started? Yeah. Done whistling <laughs> old McDonald. <laughs> yeah, no we should have recorded about. that for the uh, <laughs> for the intro music. Uh well, it's at least be a fun podcast today. at least we made ourselves all comfortable. Finally, we are sitting against our brand new couch, which is amazing. We've not had a couch, and I feel like I, I've been talking about this too much. Like people are probably like, "Get over it." Yeah, <laughs> but tell me fine. about I it. I don't care. I don't care. I just don't care. I love it, and it's it's it's. We have not had, we've never had a couch together. It's, oh my gosh, it's such a big step. It is. <laughs> well, I well, mean, if I, you enjoy relaxing once in a while, which you don't, so. That's true. Big or if I enjoy me. putting a room together and making it look, um, I don't know, Name I guess as you, as you would say, <laughs> stylish. I don't say that. I don't say stylish. No, I don't think I'm stylish. All all I'm going to say is that you all are lucky that we aren't some silly home decor podcast that Elizabeth listens to cuz they would go into an episode like this and the whole thing would be talking about hey. their couch and how it really brings the room together and then they use this accent rug this. with a big like rough twine feel made of <laughs> hemp and <laughs> so textured and then you have your your I feel like the neighbors are what the hell and is the, going on? you're ruining my montage i know i want not to. montage I'm monologue i wish it was a montage. <laughs> then you have your nice shadow box that's up against you know in the corner you're talking about the tv <laughs> no, shadow the... box, that's a real thing. You pointed to the TV. If you knew anything about decor, <laughs> you would know. But it's not pronounced decor. <laughs> wow. I, I promise we're okay, we're not so drinking for this episode. <laughs> we've lost everybody yeah. at this point. Hi. I have, I have chocolate milk in front of me. I have herbal tea. That's all that's in there. <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to try to pull it together to finish this podcast 
or start it to start this podcast. Okay. The chocolate so milk we is had a so fun good. It's time to chat, Cole. No, I think that it's was our chat. <laughs> we can talk about something, some other random topic that we decide. Let's casually chat, Cole, on the schedule. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Let's skip ahead then. I think everyone would appreciate skip, if skip we our stopped, casual chat. If we stopped this, uh, whatever this is, let's go ahead and start Charade. with this week's parks in the news. Bum ba da da. Okay, so there's a very exciting event coming up in August. Do you know what it is? On August twenty first, all the across the country. The solar eclipse. Yes, the solar eclipse. So I read an article yesterday. About 21 parks, national parks, this includes historic sites, monuments, battlefields, Ooh. where you can watch this solar eclipse. And parks that have, not only can you watch the solar eclipse, but they also have events okay. um, for this for this uh, big, fun August 21st happening. So, I have a quiz for you for eight of the 21 parks. So... I'm going to do this quickly because there are eight. I'm going to read a little description. It's either about the park or about the events going on at that park. And you just have to name the park. Bring it on. Okay, here's an easy one. The layup. All right. Okay. Uh, The event to the blank and beyond will take place at the Lawrence S. Rockefeller Preserve Porch from 3.30 p.m. to 4 p.m. local time. Leading up to the day of the eclipse, the park will also host educational programs, stargazing events, and other astronomy activities. Maybe this isn't that easy, but I feel like it should be. Well, between Yellowstone and Grand Teton, there is a preserve called the Something Rockefeller Preserve. And I've heard a lot about how Jackson Hole has a ton of solar eclipse events so i'm going um grand teton what are you going <laughs> grand teton national yes, park correct the event is called to the tetons and beyond um it's very space related as you can tell um here's another here's my real easy one that i was going to say first but i messed up um so this park has three viewing areas kate's cove uh clingman's dome do you already know it? Stop mm, me if you want. Yep. The highest peak uh, in not only the park, but also the entire state of Tennessee. That would obvious be, uh, obviously be the one and only Great Smoky Mountains. Correct. Good job. All right. Here is another one. Let me see. Okay. Um, here's the paragraph. Following the eclipse, there will be a space science exhibition. A presentation about ongoing research at the park and the chance for kids to earn their Lunar Ranger patch. That's your big clue. There will also be several special events at this park leading up to the total solar eclipse, including star parties, presentation, and uh, another special eclipse presentation by NASA scientist and educator Brian Day. Lunar Ranger. That's what their, that's what their normal junior ranger badge is called oh it's normally called that yes oh i thought it was a special eclipse version so i guess that makes a little more of a clue yeah uh oh craters of the moon national monument yes in idaho Mm. so going to the other coast almost all right good job you are 
three for three. Here's another one. So the southern section of this park near Asheville, North Carolina, will be in the path of totality and experience between 20, 20 seconds and one minute of darkness, depending on the location. Uh, several overlooks to stop and park. Most will likely fill up quickly on the day of the eclipse. Skywatchers can also hike to popular summits to see the eclipse. Yeah, if it's around Asheville, North Carolina, which is in the west, that's pretty close to Great Smoky Mountains. And right after Great Smoky Mountains, we got into the Blue Ridge National Parkway. Ding, ding, ding. Correct. Good job. You are four for four. You're doing great. All right, here's another site. Uh, this site celebrates blank. The 33rd <laughs> president of the United States, as well as other properties associated with his family. More than 50,000 artifacts on display at the historical site offer a glimpse of the personal life of this family. And there is there is a solar eclipse there, too. I just didn't copy that part. That was your clue, though. 33rd president of the United States. Yeah. Uh, to test your history. Gosh. Um, and think, um, I mean, if it helps, think along the solar eclipse path. Right, of course. I know that... Ulysses S. Grant National Historic Site, like down the road from us in St. Louis, is really close to the to the place. I don't know if he's thirty third though. That seems too. He seems like he was too early. So I don't think I can go with him. Um, but nothing. No other president has come to mind. Ugh. So I guess I'll go with Ulysses Grant home. You are not correct. That ah. d that site does have an event on the porch of the plantation home there um, in St. Louis. But this was another president in Missouri. Oh, Truman. Truman. So the Truman yeah. National Historic Site has um, events as well. All right, a couple more. This area, or the area largely consists of grass-covered plains and is best known for the large number of well-preserved uh, Miocene fossils. That have been unearthed from dig sites on Carnegie Hill and University Hill within the park. Hmm. Do you remember this park that we visited? Oh, well, that was the the clencher there um, because I was thinking it was agate fossil beds. Correct. Good yeah. job. Good job. Okay. Uh, that you uh, You've only missed one, right? Okay, mm -hmm. I have two more. Two more. We'll do this quickly. This is a National Historic Site in Wyoming and was once once the largest military post on the Northern Plains. Because the August 21st solar eclipse will cross over the center of the state, this park falls directly along the path of totality. Okay. Um, well, I know Devil's Tower is in Wyoming, as well as, you know, the Yellowstone Grand Teton. Um, but I think it's one of the ones that other than that, like Fort Laramie, I think is in Wyoming. Is there a Fort Laramie National Historic Site? Ding, ding, ding! Yeah, good job. Got that was a reach. Nowhere. I did not. Th I didn't have very much faith in you. <laughs> All right, last one. Visitors can join this national park's staff for a guided hike among the the ancient trees as the eclipse occurs. The event called Shadows and Science in the Wilderness is one of many free programs and exhibits being held at the park on the day of the eclipse. 
Ooh, that's pretty vague. Um, ancient trees. Yeah, I know ancient trees. Um, so I guess. Well, Great Basin has ancient trees, but that's pretty far south for the eclipse path. Um, but I guess I'll go with that. Great Basin National Park. That Great Basin does have ancient trees. You're right. But <laughs> along the path of the solar eclipse lies another park famous for its old growth. Oh, Congaree? Congaree. Ah, Correct. way in the east. All right. Well, you still uh, failed. So it's No, <laughs> I didn't. I got six out of... I got 75%. That's... Six out of eight. Failing in my household. <laughs> Our kids are going to love me best. <laughs> That's probably true. Okay. Shall we move on? Good job. Parks in the news. Check. Go see the solar eclipse somewhere, especially in a national park. I think we should go. Maybe we should go to Ulysses S. Grant. Yeah, that could that be fun. Be, that would be pretty fun and close by. Okay, so today what we're talking about, we're continuing this theme that we started ne- uh, last week called Why the Parks Are Parks. So kind of the backstory about what makes a park a park. Why Why are certain parks protected? Why are certain parks called parks and other parks are called monuments and historic sites um, and preserves and lakeshores. And then also just the different aspects of of what we deem as worthy of protection. So with that, with that in mind, today we're talking about one of those aspects of protection, which is historical significance. So we encountered a lot of national parks that were protected due to the fact that they were historically significant. But today we're going to be talking about the two parks that probably stood out the most in that um, in that arena. That's right. And just a side note, for me, I think of historical significance as a subset of cultural significance. So I pulled up the National Park Service mission because I always... I know the gist of it, but I want to always get it just right. And the NPS, quote, preserves unimpaired the natural and cultural resources. So those two things, natural, cultural, and values of the national park system for the enjoyment, education, and inspiration of this and future generations. So we talk a lot about the natural uh, resources because those are a lot of what the parks are made of the national parks and then you have a lot of national historic sites and other designations that are more cultural resources and specifically historical resources are what we're going to talk about today first up Mesa Verde in southwestern Colorado yeah and this park to me stands out as one of the the biggest parks that people visit almost 100% due to this really interesting historical, um, archaeological, mass archaeological site that would be the cliff dwellings at Mesa Verde. So most people don't go there for, even though there are plenty of natural resources within the park and plenty of awesome views and great hiking and and things like that, I think this is a park that almost 100% of people visit because of its uh, cultural protection right 
it is beautiful too, and we saw a lot of that. You can't not see it. But it all started when the ancestral Puebloans, as they're called, or as they're politically incorrectly known, the Anasazi, um, ancestral Puebloans lived in the area of southeastern Colorado and basically the whole, um, uh, what's that? Colorado Plateau. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> How many <laughs> Ranger programs did we go to about the Colorado Plateau? Uh, too many for me to ever forget its name. But, yeah, clearly. But those Native Americans lived in the area for over 700 years from AD 600 to 1300. And then kind of disappeared, right? Left left quickly, Yeah, I guess. And that's the, that's the kind of intriguing drama mystery of the of all of these sites that are around this area there's always that's always brought up it's like the the myths and the possibilities of why these people left so quickly and left so many things behind yeah and they started when they got into the area just building simple dwellings um, pit houses they were called basically dig a hole in the ground uh, cover it with some thatch, um, some more dirt, and put a hole in it, and you've got a house. Uh, then, uh, I think around 1100 or so, it was really late in their inhabitants of the area that they transitioned, for no one knows why, to cliff dwellings. These are literally dwellings they carve out into the side of a cliff. And you have to be pretty stinking agile to get in and out of these. Uh, and they only lived in them. You know, they're incredibly elaborate, but they only lived in them until 1300 uh, at, the, at the latest. So not very long. Yeah, to build these really intricate um, cliff dwellings that are still around today that you can go see. Um and then to leave, that's the interesting part. So, of course, there are a lot of theories of, about why they moved from pit houses to cliff dwellings. And a lot of those have to do with um, climate and also predators and also, well, not predators, but people like war. Yeah. And conflict. Because and protection. They're... Because they would have been much more shielded from all of that in, like, in the side of a cliff. <laughs> As there... you can tell when you go there and see that there's very little way down. <laughs> There are a lot of theories about how there was a famine at the time, food was really scarce, and they all just had to basically protect everything they had. Um, so they you know, used these as defensive structures. And yeah, we, we loved, we were really impressed. You know, you see a picture of the cliff dwelling and you can tell, oh, that looks pretty neat. But when you get there, it's really so much more impactful seeing it in person, walking around these ancient bricks that were stacked into walls of houses, into big towers, into kivas, which are their, um, their ceremonial rooms that they had in every uh, dwelling, which are also many, many times multiple kivas in a dwelling, and that's a whole nother mystery of, as to why they have these kivas um, or what exactly they did there. So it's oh, there's just lots of stuff we don't know. Mm -hmm. And that I think was one of the interesting things about 
going there. And, you know, you you might read about it and see, like, the couple of the main attractions, or I guess you want to call it, uh, but p- sites of interest. But you don't realize that there are 5,000 archaeological sites, official, like, known archaeological sites at in Mesa Verde, and 600 of them are cliff dwellings. You can visit, what, four? Five, um, one, two, three, four, five, six, maybe. Two on your own, and four require a guide. Um, I think that's what it is. Yeah, that sounds yeah, right. Yeah, so you can only visit a, a, cup, a handful of those 600 cliff dwelling remnants. Which is just, it, it blows your mind it, how, how dense and how uh, just crazy this area is. So that's the overview of the place. And then to get into a little bit of our experience, we drove up to, so basically first, there are three distinct areas here. There's the two mesas. Chapin Mesa and Wetherill Mesa, and these are plateaus that are where all the cliff dwellings are built. And then before you get to that, on the outer portion of the park, closer to the entrance, is the Moorfield Campground and Hiking Area. So there are lots of trails around there. And um, we would super recommend that you go to our website because we wrote a, a, we wrote a really detailed post called Mesa Verde in Three Acts. And you can access that by going to the Mesa Verde page, which is just switchbackkids.com slash Mesa hyphen Verde. And actually, if you want to get to any National Park overview on our website, that's the format. So if it's one word, it's just switchbackkids.com slash uh, pinnacles, for example. That This is just a little side note for everybody. <laughs> yeah, or I just like searching them in the yeah, search bar. Yeah, that works too. But that's a good overview of like, all of these three distinct areas and what you can do. So I just remember specifically working out, you know, listing all of the things, and they're they're they were much fresher in our minds when we wrote the post than they are right now. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So it, basically, the those three areas, and then you can um, just do a lot of different stuff in each one. So you to get there, you have to. Do a nice scenic drive from yeah, don't the entrance. underestimate the drive times because there is a lot. It's I think from the entrance to to Chapin Mesa is about 45, 35, 45 minutes probably, and even longer to Wetherill Mesa. So definitely get gas before you get into the park and plan your food and things like that. Right. And don't, like, get into the park expecting you'll be able to get to your tour in 10 minutes. Uh, because it's, uh, you know, with the winding roads, with the uh, crowds. crowds, you do not want to have to be in a hurry. Uh, but And you also just want to stop at the overlooks, like enjoy the, the beautiful scenery, scenery. Like we mentioned, it's it's really cool um, mix of orange uh, rock and then the green uh, shrubbery vegetation all over the mesas, which is Mesa Verde. got its name, Green Table. So it's like the green, you can really see the distinct green plateaus um, that go out on each of these uh, little uh, 
little mesas. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so let's, let's talk about the three areas. Yeah. Let's tackle this. Yeah. Highlights of basically, we're not going to say everything, but we'll say our favorite things in each of these three areas. And then you can hopefully plan your trip accordingly. Look at a map as you're, as you're listening to this is the most helpful way. Um, but basically we started in the Moorfield campground area. Um, you know, if you have one day at this park, you might not have time to do much here, but we, the hiking here is really, really cool. So our favorite was the Prater Ridge Trail, which is, it's 7.8 miles round trip, but you can make it about five miles. There's a little cutoff in the middle, um, and you can still get super, really, super, really, super duper, really good views (laughs) (laughs) of the, of the whole area. And it's, it's uh, just a really pretty trail we did it i think we did it in the evening the first evening we got there so it was like it's probably nice and cooled down there's not a single soul and we were here in august so it should have been somewhat somewhat crowded still and uh, and the the cliff dwelling area was more crowded but we saw no one on the trails yeah it was really the hidden gem piece of the park because everybody just goes straight to the dwellings um, so we liked the solitude a lot of the trails, and the second one we did was called Knife Edge Trail. That's a really just sh- pretty short out and back uh, that gives you some good uh, views off the side of a cliff. It's called Knife Edge because you are literally uh, walking along the side of a cliff. It's, it's not scary or anything. It's, it used to be a road. Which is the right. scary thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Because when you walk on it, you'll be, how in the world did anybody yeah. travel this? And so really but... good views of the whole uh, Montezuma Valley is what yes. that's called. And you can see several cities in the distance on that side. Prater Ridge side, you can see mostly just wilderness. And then the third one is called Point Lookout. This is, you kind of go up higher. What's that? That you, you go up higher and then you see a nice big view of of um, kind of towards the city uh, and you can see a lot of the the buildings and everything uh, so if I had to recommend one I would definitely say Prater Ridge I yes, don't know about definitely. you okay okay Chapin Mesa so highlights of Chapin Mesa again we're not going to talk about everything but we will say that we loved the balcony house tour um, you get to climb a really tall ladder that's like the highlight that's what some of the tourists were afraid of um, but I thought it was a really cool uh, tour. And also, we uh, just a bonus tip, we kind of h- liked to be the last ones, like hang back a little bit because I feel like we could get better pictures and we could just kind of like lag. lag a little bit and not have a bunch of people around at all times. So that's a good tip for any kind of national park tour. Um, we also, we did, we biked the scenic drive that's called um, Mesa Top loop and that goes through the um the progression of the types of houses that that people in the area lived in and so you can really see and we biked it which was nice because we didn't have to worry about parking we didn't have to um like get in and out of our car we just could sometimes we could just pull right up with our bikes and not even really stop fully i guess um it just seemed like a really nice easy way to not have to deal with like the hustle bustle of cars (laughs) That sometimes is annoying in, in national parks. Um, and we also did the Twilight Tour, which I would recommend, I think, the, of Cliff Palace. That's a really popular one. It's a little more expensive than the regular tour, 
but it was like a live history, living history. Is that what they call it? Right. Living history presentation. So the the ranger was all dressed up, and she had a backstory. Yeah. And a character she was playing. So that, that was just a fun extra element, and you could still got to walk through the uh, the cliff dwelling, and it was twilight. So that was kind of a cool uh, ambiance. Definitely recommend that one because otherwise the cliff, it just added a little variation to the uh, go into a cliff dwelling, do a tour, follow a ranger. It it was definitely a good change. Um, And so there are those two that are ticketed, Balcony House Tour, Cliff Palace Twilight Tour, and then Spruce Treehouse is another one, the third big cliff dwelling, and that is self-guided. So there's no reason to miss that one because it's real close to the main uh, Chapin Mesa Archaeological Museum, which is worth a visit. And uh, while you're in that area, you might as well go check out the petroglyphs because there's a nice little... uh, Oh, yeah, Petroglyph Point Trail. Yeah, there's a a 2.4-mile loop that you can do there. So tons of stuff to do on Chapin Mesa. Do save at least a day for all of that but our favorite area i think of the three was weatherill mesa which we probably liked it because it was a lot quieter most people come for a day they just go to chapin mesa and they leave so most people don't visit both um this mesa is home to two different houses that you can tour longhouse requires a ticket step house is self-guided and the cool thing that we did was called a hike and bike tour and it was about four hours and it was only uh 18 i think 15 or 18 dollars uh per person you had to provide your own bike but we had them so that was okay and the amazing thing was that it ended up being like a private tour with the rangers because it was kind of drizzling at first and um, the only other people that had signed up for the tour decided not to go and so it was Cole and me and two rangers and it was an amazing opportunity to ask a million questions and get an uh, a private tour of longhouse from like the back we got to see like in more you know further inside the house than I think the tour went and you also got to see some uh, really off the beaten path uh, views overlooks of these hidden cliff dwellings yeah those 600 that are everywhere yeah all those others all those other cliff dwelling yeah i think one of them was called like twin cliff dwelling or something where you could see two at once there was one called norden scold sites number 16 and side note on this guy norden scold there's a whole chapter of history that could be written about him but basically he was one of the first people who really documented the culture and the artifacts at Mesa Verde but he was Swedish so he came in did a ton of beneficial stuff documenting and and letting people know this is a place that needs to be protected but then he took all of the artifacts that he had worked with back to Sweden out of the U.S. And that really got some people up in arms, especially um, some of the congressmen back in D.C. So what they did was they passed a little thing called the Antiquities Act. And that was prompted in large part 
by Nordenskold and him taking all of these cultural artifacts. Remember, the NPS protects the cultural resources of the U.S. Nordenskold took those out, and then Congress in 1906 passed the Antiquities Act, which allows um, the president's power to protect areas like Mesa Verde and like a bunch of other places that uh, become national monuments because of this. Teddy Roosevelt, for instance, immediately used the Antiquities Act to designate Devil's Tower National Monument in 1906 and Mesa Verde National Park in 1906. So it was a huge thing in National Park's history. Antiquities Act, Mesa Verde played a big part in it. Um, and that's just a snippet of the story. Yeah, and I, but I think it's important. I think it Mesa, it's important to know the role that parks like Mesa Verde had in developing the park system as we know it. Exactly. Yeah. So, are you ready to move on to our next park? Did we did we talk about everything? Oh, we had one question from Instagram, and it's from Jamie. And she says, she asks if we saw the handprint left on the cliff wall at Mesa Verde. Uh, she said, when they were there, the ranger pointed it out. Do you remember? I, I, re- I think I remember a handprint. I can't remember which house that would have been in. But there are all sorts of things you can find, especially if you take these ranger tours, because those are the kind of little little tidbits that will only be pointed out to you through a ranger program. Yeah. You can't get when you just walk through a place by yourself. Right. That's so true. And I think Jamie was talking, probably the handprint was a, a pictograph. So with, you know, paints. Uh, instead of a petroglyph so i don't remember we, it specifically but that's yeah, the fun thing when you do a ranger program you feel like you get the inside scoop on all these places mm-hmm. because who knows better than the rangers all right are you ready to talk about our next uh, historically significant national park hot springs <laughs> But first, we wanted to quickly pause and talk about some of our National Parks loving friends, Allison and Dan from Outdoors Inspired Apparel Company, Happy People Hike. On a recent blog post of theirs, Allison and Dan share their company's mission. Beyond providing fun, high-quality t-shirts, Happy People Hike is about cultivating passion, encouraging well-being, and helping others find their happy. Through connecting with their community, like us, Giving back to environmental causes and developing programming to help even more people, Allison and Dan are truly making a difference in the world of the great outdoors. Support them by joining their free newsletter, following their social media channels, and using code SBK for 10% off t-shirts, jackets, accessories, and more at happypeoplehike.com. Now back to the show. Okay, so... Hot Springs, located in Arkansas, is an urban national park, and it's also the smallest national park. Little baby hot springs. Little baby hot springs. A fun fact is that this one is located the closest to Kansas City, which is where we lived for a few years uh, when when we saw that map that tells you which national park is closest to you. Um, We got hot springs. Uh, yeah, that was where we were right before we set off on the 59 trip. Yep. 
So we visited Hot Springs in February, so keep that in mind when we're talking about it. Um, Nobody was there but us (laughs) and a couple other people. Um, We camped, which was dumb. Yeah, it it was was super cold. It was our coldest night. It was like 21 degrees and elizabeth was sick we had just come back from america from 95 degrees and humid american samoa and we drove straight to hot springs and froze and died almost (laughs) bit of a shock to the system i think i slept in the tent most of the time even during the day so you can probably imagine how our experience was had a little different flavor than most but I think it was a uh, a decent place to lay lo- like take it easy, I guess, relax, you know, kind of kind of go about the park in a more relaxed sort of way because it is purely history, I would say. Right. And a big piece of that history is on a street called Bathhouse Row. So to set up the park here, you've got, the um, main area with all the hot springs and those hot springs are channeled into a row of bathhouses that are really historic buildings and they're all along one street basically the main street in hot springs arkansas so this this national park the the center uh focal point of the park is in a city hot springs so it's strange to like be standing in a park and across the street you see restaurants and shops and and uh all sorts of commercial things um so it's it is a very different kind of experience than what we we saw in say big bend which we went to next yeah and but still important so it's i think it was important for our, our overall view of the park service in the u.s so this, it offered just a, a very different element than our, the other parks did. So you have that small historical section, and then you do have a little bit of land outside the city that has some trails. It's you know largely, well, probably completely wooded, and it's 5,500 acres in total the national park is so you can tell that's not very big at all i think wrangle st elias i heard once can fit 2400 hot springs <laughs> inside it uh, so that's the smallest park hot springs biggest park wrangle st elias and um, there's a there is though a, a few trails there's even a 10 mile trail called the sunset trail we w- because we were sick, a little cold, I was kind of trying to take care of Elizabeth a little bit, maybe. <laughs> uh, we didn't really do much of the trails. We, you hiked a little bit. I did hike I a little bit. I slept a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're going to focus on the bathhouses. Right, which is the which is the heart of the park anyway. And what to me, what's really interesting about Hot Springs, you know, we visited a lot of national parks several more than we thought would claim that they were the first <laughs> national park. Um, but Hot Springs was the most interesting of those, I thought. So because Hot Springs was the first, let, make sure I'm getting this right, it was the first natural resource that was set aside to be protected. Is that how you would phrase it? 
Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. in in what like 1832? So f- so like April twentieth, eighteen thirty-two, to be exact. No, I have you. the wiki. Well, I have the Wikipedia page up. Yeah, right yeah, yeah. Um, but that's significantly ahead of Yellowstone. Forty right. forty years before Yellowstone was right. established. So. Um, because it was an it, because it the area was a natural resource, some people say that Hot Springs is technically the first national park. Now, I wouldn't necessarily agree with this, but it's out there. It's one of those things that like Yosemite um, also says that they're technically the first because the the idea of the national park was born in Yosemite, essentially. But when it was created, it was created as a state park. Correct. So there's all sorts of these uh, little little quarrel, uh, quarrels. Yeah, that nobody really cares about, <laughs> I'm sure, besides us national park right. nerds. Right. It's interesting, though, I think. So, yeah. So hot, because you never would look at hot springs and, and yeah. say, oh, that possibly was the first. But And that was way back when Andrew Jackson yeah. was president. So super back early when, in the U.S. Back when people thought taking a bath was going to cure their, all their ailments. Yeah. Well, they thought that until the 1940s. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but it was created by a national, uh, by an act of Congress, the Hot Springs Reservation Act of Congress in 1832 to be preserved for future recreation so going back to the mission you know it's to you know yes we want to allow for people to recreate in these areas but what hot spring was missing at the time was the whole idea of preserving unimpaired these natural resources because although it was a reservation those hot springs were very impaired by all of the bathhouses <laughs> and that they still are that basically corralled them and piped them into their their tubs um so yeah that's um you know one last tidbit on this and maybe a stroke in hot springs favor is that when the national when the government came out with the quarters to the America the Beautiful Quarters Coin Series in April 2010 to commemorate the national parks, Hot Springs was being, quote, the oldest park uh, maintained by the National Park Service was the first to receive its own quarter. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Interesting. Uh, So the debate rages on. Hot Springs is just a, a funny little guy. Uh. I don't that I don't really have anything to add to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so anyway, How, what was our experience? Visiting there? Hot Springs. Yeah. yeah, let's talk about that. So we like Cole said, we stuck to the to the bathhouse row for the most part. We also explored a little bit of the trails and we camped in the campground inside the park. Um, we also drove up. We were able to drive up to the mountain tower, which is uh costs like too much for Did us. Did we not? We didn't go in it. No, we didn't. We just drove to it. We didn't go up. It was like 12 yeah, bucks or something. We were going to be going to a lot of other mountains later. <laughs> <laughs> um, and okay, so big big thing that we would very much recommend to doing is taking a guided tour. You know, we're a broken record about ranger programs, but I really, really think that uh, they add so much to your experience. And so there are free guided tours of Fordyce Bathhouse, which is the bathhouse, the 
the one that's remi- that's the serves as the visitor center for the park and also is kind of preserved in its uh, I, I think like 1930s era yes. is what, the time period that they hit. Yes, yeah, so you can see the the men's bathhouse and the women's bathhouse because they're segregated and the men's were way better, which is stupid. <laughs> and the, you can see their little gym because it was basically like a spa, like a resort. Um, so they had a little a gym, which was almost like a gymnastics gym. It had rings and it had bars and it had little funny little wooden weights. Um, and and then the like the little recreation areas inside this big, beautiful historic building. So that's the main thing to do here at Hot Springs is take a tour. Definitely wa- uh, go through Fordyce Bathhouse. Also, you can go you can go into a different a couple of the other bathhouses interesting the superior bathhouse is a brewery so it's the nps's only brewery that's located inside a park is here in hot springs and it's called uh superior bathhouse yeah we got a flight to test out you know a couple different beers and then we also got a beer float which was bad I didn't like it. Would much, yeah, would much rather have had a root beer float. Yeah, but but it was the beer was good. It was a novelty. Yeah, it's so. fun. Um, it was nice also just to kind of take a break. Um, I know most people go the opposite direction, but we spent a whole year camping and um, all of our time inside the parks. So it was kind of nice to just have a little bit of a an urban. Not that Hot Springs is like <laughs> the the what you think of when you think of urban. But, like, just to be in a city for a little bit and walk around and um, pop into the bathhouses. And one of them is, is an art museum, right? That's right. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that's the main thing to do there here at Hot Springs. Bottom line, I don't think people need, you know, we, this is very rare that we say this, but I don't think you need more than a day to experience Hot Springs. <gasps> I know. Whoa. I know. Scandalous. Um, we, <laughs> what other parks would you say that about? Any? Would you say that about any? No. I, we spent uh, about 10 minutes at Kovac Valley. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's in Alaska, one of the ones we had to yeah. fly to. Um, anyway, that's agree, probably though. the only one. It, honestly, you know, there were a lot that we would put rank a little higher than Hot Springs, but... The history is no doubt cool. It's no doubt worth remembering, honoring, preserving, and learning about. So um, definitely, if you're in the area, check it out. Yeah, so overall, we've got to, we talked about Mesa Verde. We talked about Hot Springs. And these historical national parks, they just allow you to see a, a slightly different side of the park system than you might think about from like Instagram. If you're looking at Instagram and you're seeing a lot of people standing on mountains, it's not what it's necessarily going to be about. Um, But I don't think all national parks um, have been preserved for purely our recreation and and our beauty to look at. Um, And so it's important to learn about that side of the park system as well. Amen, sister. (laughs) I think you say that at the end of every podcast. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we sign off, we have an adorable question from a listener. Hi, my name is No Jackson, and um, 
I was just wondering, what was your favorite hike out of all 59 national parks? And thank you so much. Bye. All right. Well, thank you, Noah, for your question. If you're listening to this, send us an email at switchbackkids at gmail.com because we did not see your email on when you submitted your voicemail, so we cannot contact you to get you a postcard. So, Noah, if you're listening to this, send us an email, and we will send you a uh, National Park print. An email and your address if you want to print. Well, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Email would be a good start. Okay. <laughs> Loved the question, though, but it was super tough. Oh, it's so hard. Uh, I've got one, though. So, yeah, you really put me to the test here. I'll let Elizabeth go first. So, Noah, I'm not sure how old you are, but I think that even though this hike is really, really hard, I think that um, everybody can do it if they take their time and are prepared. So this hike is the Harding Ice Field in Kenai Fjords National Park. And this is probably what made me like Kenai Fjords as one of my top three national parks in the whole national park system. So this hike is steep. It's a, It gains about a thousand feet per mile. It's about four miles up and four miles down and about 4,000 feet up. So you, you're hiking you start out, you're hiking through the woods, hiking, and then you break through the um, tree line, and then you're hiking all along the snow and the ice. And you can see the entire exit glacier, right? Exit glacier, yeah. Um, in As you're hiking, and it's just the most incredible, vast, beautiful views you've ever seen. You can, you, once you get all the way up to the top, you can see this huge ice field that serves a lot of the glaciers throughout Kenai Fjords and some that go straight down to the ocean. Um, so it's really some of the best views we saw our whole year. Really cool hike. Take your time and you'll definitely make it to the top. All right. My favorite hike. Dun, da, da, da. <laughs> we did a, a whole top 10 episode on different types of hikes, by the way, short hikes, long hikes, and I think coming up is our overnight top 10 hikes. Yeah, we'll link all the podcasts that we've done in the show notes. You can go to at switchbackkids.com slash podcast. But overall, favorite hike, I would say, has to be the hike in Grand Canyon National Park down to Phantom Ranch. Uh, It's very popular, but there is such a good reason. I would recommend going down um, the... South Kaibab. South Kaibab, thank you, trail. Mm -hmm. That's a little steeper, a little shorter. Get down to Phantom Ranch, spend the night, and then head up Fan, um, Bright, Angel. Bright Angel, thank you. Your brow is so <laughs> is, is so wrinkly because I'm thinking so you're hard. Thinking so hard. So head up Bright Angel, which is a little longer, a little more steady climb, and you will just cover such an extraordinary section of the canyon and get down to see all the way to the Colorado River, um, and the views along the way are just magnificent you know the from the top of the canyon and the on the rim is awesome but 
as you go down farther and farther, you really get the feeling like you are in a special place. You are in this place that is so much bigger than you, so much older than you, and it just um, is really a magical hike. So, you know, try to get down into the canyon when you go to Grand Canyon. That's always our advice. If you can go hike down and see the sunrise from, you know, one of the sun special sunrise points when you're in the canyon, that's even better to see the sun just start to light up and and um, start start shifting down the walls of the canyon as they start glowing. It's just really special. Um, there's so much to love about the Grand Canyon, and uh, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it. <laughs> you want to go back? Yes. Yes, let's do it. But thank you so much, Noah, for your question, and send us your email and address at uh, switchbackkids at gmail.com if you want a National Parks print, which, speaking of that, if you would like to submit a question for the podcast and we play that question, we will send you a National Parks print. Um you can submit this question in a lot of ways. You can email us. You can leave a message on our Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. You can uh, record a voicemail. That's the that's the coolest way. And then we actually get to hear your voice on the podcast. Um, and that's on our website or on specifically on our show notes for this post. Like I said, switchbackkids.com slash podcast. And you can see all the podcasts that we've uh, done up to this point as well. So thanks for checking us out today. We'll be back next week with more talk about parks that have been protected for a specific reason. This time, they're geologic anomalies. The parks, crater lakes, and arches. If you enjoyed the podcast, we'd love for you to share us with a friend, give us a rating on iTunes or SoundCloud, or find us on social media at Switchback Kids. And you can always get additional National Parks videos, posts, guides, and more on our blog at switchbackkids.com. Switchbacks out! You can also get additional National Parks videos, uh, guides, posts. Oh my gosh, I can't read. <laughs> if you enjoyed the podcast, we'd love for you to share us with a friend, throw your computer on the floor, or give us a rating on iTunes. Switchbacks out. You didn't say it. <laughs> Why didn't you say it with the mark? <laughs>